My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm a professor in the criminal justice program at Bowling Green State University. I recently had the opportunity with Steve Brewer, who's on the faculty of the Administration of Justice Department at Penn State Shenango, to present our research findings related to victims of police sexual misconduct at the 2014 Annual Conference of the Academy of Criminal Justice Sciences in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our research presentation at ACJS was recorded for this episode of the Police Integrity Lost podcast. Steve and I have a presentation this morning. Our other colleagues can't join us. Police sexual misconduct, arrested officers, and their victims. And this is in a longer line of papers that we've been working on with police crime, but more specifically in the last year or two, police sexual misconduct. And in this study, we really wanted to look at not only officers, but really focus in on the victims. So just very briefly in terms of the literature review with police sexual misconduct, if you think in terms of uh, the opportunities that police officers have, very unique kind of job. You're not supervised very closely on an hour-to-hour -hour basis. You have contact with the public in such a way that you have opportunities to engage in what we refer to as a hidden problem because we really don't know a whole lot about the different types of police sexual misconduct in terms of how prevalent the problem is. However, there is some survey research out there that says it's fairly common in terms of certain types of police sexual misconduct. So in some places, in some departments, some surveys have shown that some officers engage in sexual activity in their police cars on a fairly regular basis. There's other research more recently that's shown that there are some, a few, predatory police officers that engage in predatory sexual violence against primarily young adult women and adolescent girls. If we shift gears and talk about the victims of sex crimes, the research shows that about 15% of women in our country are victims of sexual assault at some point in their lives. I think it's probably a bit higher than 15%. I think that's a bit low. Typically, your victims of sex crimes are often young females, 16 to 19 years old, and they're most often known by the offender. And research has also shown that there are significant consequences, emotional consequences, problems that victims of sexual assault have. And we also know that sexual crimes are underreported, although the reporting of sexual crimes, as with all crimes, seems to be on the uptick. And then finally, in terms of victims of sex crimes, we know that in the criminal justice system, we typically have difficulty in dealing with anything that's other than what uh, Susan Estridge long ago referred to as real rape. In other words, anything other than the stranger jumping out of the bushes and committing a violent sexual assault, the criminal justice system has difficulty with that. If we look at the victims of police sexual misconduct, there are some real reasons why victims are very reluctant to report the crimes to a law enforcement agency. They may be humiliated, they may fear retaliation, and also the process of filing a complaint can be unnecessarily difficult. We also know that there are occasions where police supervisors are very reluctant to take the reports and discourage people from doing so, and all of this can lead to increased trauma that a victim of police sexual assault would experience. In this study, 
in terms of the method, this is part of a larger study on police crime, as I mentioned, and primarily it's a content analysis study of news articles. Now, we also have, in many of the cases, the court records and other documents that we triangulate for coding of our content analysis. So, for example, in the last year, we've added to our database the ability to download and capture and index and store videos from local news. So we have about 2,000 news videos relating to various cases in our database as well. Again, we're just dealing with sex-related criminal arrests of police officers. These are officers who are sworn officers at non-federal agencies across the country, and we're looking at arrest cases from the years 2005 through 2008 in this study. And intercoder reliability, we have other coders come in and we'll code a random sample of typically 5% of the cases of the variables of interest. And here, the Krippendorf South in this study is fairly high. In the larger study, from the year 2005 through 2008 in our database, we have 3,403 arrest cases in those four years involving 2,797 officers who were employed by just over 1,500 law enforcement agencies in 848 counties and independent cities across the United States in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. There are strengths and limitations to this research, as with all research. We know that there's a potential for bias in media reporting, that there's also a filtering process and discretion in what the media chooses to report. And we also have in this study, keep in mind that we're only dealing with cases where there's actually been an official arrest. So an impartial magistrate has found probable cause to issue an arrest warrant. This study with the sex-related cases from 2005 to 2008 we have 771 arrest cases involving 555 sworn officers employed by 449 non-federal law enforcement agencies in 349 counties and independent cities in 44 states and the District of Columbia. If we just look at some of the descriptive statistics here, in this study, less than 1% of the cases involve an officer who's a female. In our population of all of our cases, it's about 5% of the officers are female who were arrested. So here, almost all of the officers are male. And interestingly, we've got almost half the cases occur on duty, where the crime occurred on duty. A little bit over half the cases in this study, they're off duty. Keep in mind, you know, Fife and Kane said that there's really no bright line. It's hard to draw a distinction in what's not related to the job when we talk about what's police crime. And interestingly here, about two-thirds of the cases, the officer was arrested by some other law enforcement agency. Now that could be because his employing agency decided that there's a conflict of interest, we're going to bring some other agency in to do the investigation, or it could be that the crime occurred outside their jurisdiction. So many police officers live in some other county from where they work or some other city, and that would account for a good bit of that. And then if we look at the most serious offense charged in these 771 arrest cases, you'll see this is just the most serious offense charged. So every one of these was sex-related, but for example, there are five burglaries where they're most serious offense charts in five of the cases. We've got robberies, even ATM fraud, all kinds of different things. If we look at the victims here, interestingly, about 8% of the cases, almost 9% of the cases, involve victims who are not females. We've got male victims in a lot of the cases. And if you look here, well over 50% of the victims are under the age of 18. So we'll just collectively call those child victims. If we look at the relationship, 
here, 42% are unrelated child, unrelated child or unrelated children to the officer. And just over that, 46% uh, strangers or non-stranger acquaintances. If we look at the location of violence, and this was coded, if we look at the top here, the first one, at or in the victim's house or apartments with the victim's residence, we code that as one, and then going down, two, three, four, five. So you'll see in the regression models where that becomes important to look at. But here we've got a number of cases where we weren't able to determine the location of the violence. It's possible that some of the sex cases were not also coded as violence for some reason, something about that case. So we have two regression models here are predicting child victims, so any victim under the age of 18. And if we look at the regression model here, interestingly, the simple odds of the victim being a child are about five times greater if the arresting agency is not the officer's employer. It's interesting here, we have funding in this grant to look at whether officers have been sued at some point in their career in federal court for violating the civil rights of anybody, not necessarily related to the criminal case we have. And here, the simple odds of the victim being a child go down by about 70%. Well, there are several reasons for that. A lot of the cases involving child victims occur off-duty. They're not committed in the official capacity of the officer, and children are less likely to sue in federal court, I would assume, as well. So we're only dealing primarily in terms of the federal cases here. It's typically the cases where the officer, in our data set with the criminal cases, has been involved in some on-duty police sexual violence. And then it's interesting here, with the location of violence, the simple odds of the victim being a child are about 20% less as you move away from the victim's house. So children are more likely to be victimized in their house or somebody else's house. Could be the offender's house, not in a public place. And then the second regression model, we're predicting conviction. Here, the simple odds of an officer being convicted are about 4.4 times greater if the officer was charged, among other offenses, with forcible sodomy. The odds of conviction go up the more part-time officers an agency has. They're probably with more rural agencies as well. And the simple odds of conviction are about 1.6 times greater if the victim is a child. One of the things that Steve and I have found is that it's often very difficult to look at a regression model with our data and make a whole lot of sense of it. There's another way that we wanted to look at it, and I'm going to let Steve talk about that. If you uh, look at your handout table 5, and it looks at identifying location of the case, and the set of statistically significant, but we don't know really how to tease that out in a regression model. So what we did with our data is to apply this to the decision tree technique, which allows us to split the variable out to look at the attributes to the variable and how that would maybe categorize different cases and maybe different subgroups that would have different predictions. So what we did is apply this to our technique. And here's just a summation of the two tables I'll present next, so I'm not going to discuss this. So what we have here is the first decision tree. And again, is the child a victim? What this is doing is creating subgroups for prediction as opposed to looking at the sample as one whole. For instance, like location of violence, we can now separate it out to those different locations. So this tree is looking at what is the most important, location of violence is important, and it's creating two different distinct groups. Here we have at the victim's residence, at an other residence, school or college, or public place. It's its own unique group. Those group, in those cases, 66% are children as opposed to highway, and I'm not going to go through all these, public place, garage, etc., they only have a 28.8% chance of being a victim. 
So this technique allows us in our data set to look at the dynamics and the attributes of the variables and to create subsamples for prediction. It continues down for location of violence in this category. The next most important is agency size. And then again, it looks at the different size of agency and the predictive probability of children victims. On this side of the tree, it looks at years of service as well. When we look at conviction, the most important variable was the age of the victim separated by 19 and a half years. If it's greater than 19 and a half years, the conviction rate was 72.4%, as opposed to less than 19 and a half years, it's 87%. So for that group, the next most important in years of service. And again, we have this split out here. Uh, this group um, had 92.9% for four lower groups, ex excluding the 24 to 26 years of service. Um, the majority of them were only 57% here. For age of victims less than 19 and a half years, we have final employment outcome was the next most important. If they lost their job, they were convicted in 91.5% of those cases, as opposed to if they kept their job, it was 77.3% of those cases. So what this is really allowing us to do is looking at subgroups. We can now tease out different groups. It allows us to focus on prediction and prevention, the different aspects that would go on in these cases. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Lost podcast. The project is supported by award number 2011 IJCX0024, awarded by the National Institute of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice. This podcast episode was recorded at the annual conference of the Academy of Criminal Justice Sciences in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on February 21st, 2014. For more information on this research project, please go to www.bgsu.edu forward slash police integrity lost.